traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. The whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Hey there. This is your mad prophet of the airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for, what is this, Tuesday, February the 22nd. No, no, it's the 21st, Jacob. Tuesday, Feb 21st in the year of our Lord 2023. I tell you, I love long weekends. The only problem is after three days off, I forget how everything works. So be forewarned, Jacob, I'm, I'm probably going to step all over the liners. You do that all the time, he says. <laughs> That's true. I get, you know what it is? I get so excited to get back on the air after a commercial break. So I have a tendency to jump the gun and I start talking before the liner. Particularly when it's a liner introducing one of our regular segments like uh, the homeschool advisor. Uh, who's on? The program today, by the way, or Friday, I stomped all over the Lim Riddler liner. Anyway, I'm just warning you, after three days off, I'm likely to be even worse. Uh, this is strange. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This morning, I was um, 
I was in a bit of a nostalgic mood. And I was thinking back on my early days in radio. And I, I began... I began working at CFRB uh, back in the early 90s, 1992, as a call screener. And that position doesn't even exist anymore. Frankly, most talk radio shows in Canada don't even take your calls anymore. We don't have call screeners or on-air producers, as they used to be called. Incidentally, you can call 289-275-9600. And if you do, it's all automated. You say your name and where you're calling from, and it comes up on my screen. But the on-air producer or call screener, that was an important job. Our job was to find out what people wanted to talk about, maybe help them get to the point before they got on the air, or help them figure out what they wanted to talk about. Again, getting them ready to go on air for those two minutes when they were kind of the talk show host's co-host for those two minutes. Anyway, my first job in radio was as a call screener for Ed Needham, Edgar Howard Needham. And uh, Ed was, um, at that time, he was about 60 years old. He was an American who worked for ABC as a correspondent during the Vietnam War. And then I I believe he married a French-Canadian woman and became a Canadian citizen. And um, so that was my first job. He was a bloviator uh, of the first order. A tremendous broadcaster, great voice. I suppose he was somewhat controversial back then, pretty tame by today's standards. I'm not even sure he would have considered himself conservative. But he, but Ed Needham didn't suffer fools gladly, and he had his his detractors, believe me. Um, because there there is, or certainly there was, and I think there still is, a very palpable anti-American sentiment in Ontario, in Toronto. So CFRB listeners either loved him or hated him. And he loved that. So anyway, I was his call screener. He was tough on callers. And he was tough on me. But I was I was pretty green. I didn't know a whole lot. But he taught me a lot. And I only worked with him for a year. And then he retired. And for some reason, I was thinking about Ed today. And I feel really embarrassed by this. Because until today, I hadn't realized he'd passed away. And because I was thinking about him and I I did a little searching online and then I stumbled on his obituary. He actually died last June, June uh, 2022, at the age of 90 after a short illness. And I feel terrible that I somehow missed that. And uh, so today I'm feeling a little uh, sad because he's gone. And uh, he was such an important part of my life in those days. It was only a year But that was such a magical time in my life and my career working with the giants of talk radio, Ed Needham, Wally Crowder, Fred Napoli, and they're all gone now. I don't even know if there's anyone out there listening to the sound of my my voice who listened to Ed Needham. But he mattered to me. Uh, There's a, a very popular Toronto podcaster, Toronto Mike, and he posted this to YouTube. It's um. It's titled Ed's Last Show. Actually, it wasn't Ed's last show. I know I was there. It was his penultimate show. Uh, His last show, I believe he did live from the St. Louis Bar and Grill up on Young Street, north of Davis or south of Davisville. This was this would have been in 1993. And I know that was his last show and that what you're about to hear was not his last show because 
His last show, he did three hours with no calls and no guests. He just talked for three hours. So I just wanted to play a little bit here for you. You'll hear him refer to his call screener, Richard. That would be me. Here's a little bit of Ed Needham, his second to last show, 1993, the very last time I worked with a radio legend. Which reminds me, I um, I have this record, someone sent me out a record, it's a tape, and uh, it has the William Tell Overture on it by a barbershop quartet, if you can imagine that. I cannot. I found it in my office today, along with some letters. I'm trying to get caught up on this stuff. And, uh, anyway, there it was, sitting down there now, and I just got to thinking about it, and I said, the William Tell Overture by a barbershop quartet has got to be pretty special. So maybe later... When I leave here, I'll go down to my office and I'll get that. Richard, if you please, would you open up the lines? The numbers are... Here's the drill. You get to call um, and talk about whatever it is you want to. I don't care. And there's a few things I'll cut you off for, you know, but I had a good time today. You know what I did today? Richard, you'd like this. I taught a class of young students, uh, graduates, really, of the uh, National Institute of Broadcasting next door to us, and I did a lecture for their uh, sort of postgraduate, whatever it was, after having graduated, but prior to having made their demo tapes kind of lecture. And I really enjoyed it. Very, very touching. There, I just wanted to play a little bit. Uh, it's good to hear his voice again, maybe for the last time. Well, for the last time, certainly. That's, um, that's really apropos of nothing. Except that I learned today that Ed Needham passed away last June. And again, I'm embarrassed and kind of ashamed that I missed it. Uh, you know, if Ed Needham is looking down and listening to this, I know he's bellowing, Sarah, you couldn't pour water out of a boot with directions on the heel. <laughs> That's exactly what he would say. That was Ed Needham. God love him. God bless him. Eternal be his memory. And what a time that was working in radio in the early 90s. And I think of those days constantly. And, you know, we're trying to recreate, at least for me, I feel this, trying to recreate some of that, that magic and gravitas and reverence for the medium right here on Saga 960. Because there, there is no terrestrial radio station like this in Canada, to my knowledge. Quite frankly, I couldn't work for another radio station. I wouldn't get in the front door. And I wouldn't have the, the freedom or the support for management to do this kind of show that I do Monday to Friday. And I know my colleagues, Greg Carrasco, Mark Petroni, feel the same way. I don't know. Are we the last of a dying breed? Or are we the first of a, uh, a re-emerging breed? I don't know. I, I hope it's the latter. I really do. We're just a little tiny station inside the GTA, surrounded by white noise, Everywhere else on the dial. Anyway, I know there's a lot of other stories in the news that I that I could chew on right now, but I wanted to do that for Ed. Well, for me, really. There's always chaos and mayhem and violence on the streets. There's always some woke nonsense. There's always government corruption and wars and rumors of wars. That's endless. Anyway, so I just decided to park all of that just for a few minutes and play a little bit of Ed Needham there. Oh, I'm going to get to the nonsense, not to worry. And um, we'll also have a little fun along the way today. Space Matters with Dr. Jesse Rogerson. Jesse's an astrophysicist. I can barely spell astrophysicist. Very bright man. Anyway, he'll be here to talk about 
uh, well, get a load of this, the Hubble Space Telescope. Yes, it's still up there and it's still doing important work. We hear more about the James Webb Telescope, but the Hubble Telescope still doing important work. And it recently captured an incredible image of, get this, three galaxies that are about to collide. Three galaxies about to be involved in a massive head-on collision. I mean, what does that even mean? Think about that. Imagine our galaxy, the Milky Way, uh, about to collide with two other galaxies. How, how big of an airbag would we need? Space Matters with Dr. Jesse Rogerson, last order of business in hour two. Also in the second hour, I will take your calls, just like the late Ed Needham said. And you can talk about whatever you want, more or less, 289-275-9600. And do me a favor. I know the uh, the automated call screener is kind of awkward and difficult to use. Just state your name very slowly and clearly, the city and town you're calling from. Maybe three or four words to explain what you want to talk about. So, you know, let me demonstrate. Richard from Thornhill. Bill C-11, just like that. That would really help me out. 289-275-9600. Dr. Robert Malone will be here in hour two, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine delivery technology, world-renowned immunologist, virologist, biochemist, physician. And of course, big tech and big pharma have gone to great lengths to try and silence and suppress and memory hole Dr. Malone. He's been one of the, the most outspoken critics of the COVID jab, lockdowns, mask mandates. He's written a new book, Lies the Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming, with a foreword by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Looking forward to speaking with uh, Dr. Malone in hour two. Uh, Ruth Gaskowski, the homeschool advisor. She'll be here this hour. We'll talk about yet another reason to homeschool. We'll talk about a, a recent article in the Globe and Mail examining hired exam takers, blackmail and the rise of contract cheating at Canadian universities. But coming up first, is the gender ideology about to collapse? It's the title of an op-ed piece by Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph. It sounds very hopeful. I sense the rest of the world is waking up to the madness inherent in radical gender ideology. I'm not convinced it's about to collapse anytime soon here in Canada, but hopefully Daniel Boardman will prove me wrong. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, Feb 21st, 2023, Facta Non Verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. As you, you know, every Wednesday, sorry, every Thursday, <laughs> every, I told you after a long weekend, I'm just going to mess everything up. It's every Thursday I dedicate a, uh, a segment, carve out about eight minutes. Uh, usually we speak with Mia Ashton, who writes for the Post Millennial or, or Cause Bar, to talk about, well, it's, the segment is called In Defense of Women, but it has been primarily about radical gender ideology and uh, all of the madness that's going on. Um, and I've uh, also talked to a billboard Chris, Chris Elston, a number of times, who's crisscrossing North America with a sandwich board, uh, fighting and standing up against child abuse and administering hormone blockers and worse, double mastectomies, hysterectomies, just absolute abuse of children. Anyway, um, Daniel Boardman, I think this is your finest work, Daniel. It's called, Is Gender Ideology About to Collapse? It's um, up at the nationaltelegraph.com. First of all, welcome to the show. How are you? 
Doing well. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I, um, I'm i here to talk about gender ideology. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for the compliment there. This is sort of my uh, shake my head. It's just, okay, got to do some sort of meta-analysis on this whole thing because there's, there's a lot going on right now. And I think a lot of people are starting to look into this now and say, okay, what? Yeah, I hope so. But as usual, Canada is behind the curve as you, you know, the rest of the world. And we've been tracking this, the Tavistock Clinic in, in Great Britain, basically the, the epicenter of the whole child affirming care in that country. They've shut down. Now they're the subject of massive lawsuits, um, country after country, like dominoes now falling, just saying, that's it. We're not doing child affirming care in the states. There are about two dozen states that are lined up who've either banned it. Uh, or will be banning it in 2023. Anyway, um, let's let's get into your article here. Um, you, you start off, if there ever was an ideology that could be considered immune from reality, it would be gender theory. Um, that sets it up perfectly. First of all, let's go back to the sort of the, the, the genesis of this in the 1950s. Tell us a little bit about John Money. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you have to make this very radio friendly. So the first thing I'll say to listeners is if I were to describe his experiments, the show would be taken off the air. To put it in context, the 1950s um, was like a psych- psychological age of behavioralism, where all the top thinkers really thought, um, you know, we can, you know, by, you know, we had just learned about operant conditioning and Pavlovian conditioning. And by conditioning people and putting different social se- settings, you know, I could take two babies that are identical twins. I could raise one to be a doctor. I could raise one to be a stripper just by behavioral cues. Now, this had been debunked later, but this was the prevailing theory as where a lot of the, like, scientific research was going. So... On this, you have someone named John Money who comes up with the term gender. So gender comes from the John Money uh, experiment where he basically posited that, okay, um, there was a set of twin boys. One of them had, had a an accident that went wrong with the circumcision. So, um, you know, the male genitalia was not going to work. And he came to the parents and said, you know, in the modern ethos, I can, you know, use my psychology powers to make this baby into a healthy girl. And convince the parents to go along with this. So there were experiments done. You have this control setting. We have twins, right? But one would be raised as a girl, one raised as a boy. And he posited that, you know, gender is a social construct. And, you know, through um, conditioning, you know, we can override what you'd think is biology. Now, right. we should point thing, out, excuse me, uh, we should point out, Daniel, that prior to money in the 1950s, gender was always interchangeable with the with the with the term sex. So if you were asked on a on a census or whatever to tick off your gender, it meant the same thing as tick off your biological sex. Always, always, always. Yes. And this idea that, you know, the gender there's also some Judith Butler thrown in here, but no one can quote Judith Butler and she doesn't speak English. Um, if you read any of her stuff, it's like every word has fifty seven syllables. They're put in the most confusing context. It's it's like cult like language. But Money is the first one to sort of say, OK, I can raise them as uh, as um, a boy and a girl. Long story short, he's wrong. It ends in horrible tragedy. Both these kids get suicidal and depressed. And, you know, like, why am I a girl? Like, never really fitting with the girl. It, it learns that he's a boy. Um, it, tragic. So John Money was wrong. Like, it, one, this, this study isn't big enough to apply outwards, right? It's a sample size of two, right? And it failed. But instead, the opposite happened where this now became an accepted theory because, you know, entropy happened. And then, you know, you have the the modern gender theory, queer theory, critical race theory, all these quote unquote theories that are not really scientific theorem coming out of the social sciences, which I trace back to the roots of like the neo-Marxist belief and the postmodern belief. Postmodernism essentially posits that 
every relationship is about power. So this is why, you know, white people can't be racist because the concept of white power, whites are the most powerful. Therefore, you know, you know, power and privilege. That's sort of the critical race thing, right? You can then apply this to, you know, gay, straight, whatever it is on the power dynamic. Uh, and then you have the neo-Marxist belief where um, they basically realized, okay, the working class will never support communism. So the postmodernists and neo-Marxists in 1960 were quite clear that they wanted to replace um, class with race and different things. So you basically swap out the word bourgeoisie, you put in white, and you swap out the term um, proletariat, and you put in black, person of color, P- BIPOC, right. POC, whatever you want to call it. Got to take a quick time out, Daniel, but that, that's so true. I mean, they basically, the Marxists, the Marxists came to terms with money. They're okay with money now. Yeah. Take a look at Jagmeet Singh uh, and Bernie Sanders. They're fine with money. So basically, they took the economic aspect out of it, and now it's all about, as you say, race. Uh, we'll take a quick time out and uh, continue to discuss um, whether or not gender ideology is about to collapse. God, I hope so. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph, stays with us back with more right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Daniel Boardman is here, a senior contributor with the National Telegraph, the nationaltelegraph.com, support independent media, the nationaltelegraph.com, and uh, recently authored a, uh, a terrific, very cogent piece titled, Is Gender Ideology About to Collapse? Um, you know, we've sort of cited... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The um, the inanity of this ideology chapter and verse in the program, but let's talk about how it's now maybe slowly, unwi- un- maybe not so slowly, uh, uh, unwinding here. First of all, you talk about the uh, the recent resignation of Scottish National Party leader uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the, uh, the first minister of Scotland. She had to resign. Um, she caused this uproar because... She wanted to change the uh, the standard of the law in Scotland so that anyone who uh, basically self-identified as a woman, even if they're a man, would have to be under the law considered a woman. And immediately what happened was this uh, monster serial rapist, Adam Graham, declared himself a woman and was transferred to a women's prison. And this resulted in uh, in Sturgeon resigning. Um is this, yes. is this, do you think, yeah, the beginning is, I mean, of the end? Um, I think it's the, I, I quote Churchill here, and I think it's more the uh, end of the beginning, uh, of this <laughs> world, where you have the beginning where it's sort of this sort of freeze, like everyone just wants to be super progressive. We want to adopt the new thing. We fought for gay rights. The gay community can get married. Okay, what's the next frontier? 
Like I want to be considered, I want to tell my grandkids how progressive I was and how I was fighting the next thing. So, you know, transgender rights just came in sort of right after gay marriage issue and sort of just, there was no checks and balances on it. And now we're starting to see a sort of coming awakening. And now we're going to see sort of the, the culture war bear out. So I, I, I highlight this as one of the main underlying, you know, things of gender. One of the three tenets pillars keeping it up is one, people want to feel like they're on the precipice of the new civil rights um, fight. Um, two, there's a metaphorical gun being had, held to a lot of people's heads where, you know, if I speak out about this, I lose my job. And this is in a lot of Western countries. And then third is the, the massive amount of money the pharmaceutical companies make off of this. So these are like the three pillars that are unwinding. And a lot of society is sort of kept in balance because they don't really think about this. So this is like the first and second thing where they think, oh, gender ideology, you know, I want to be progressive, trans rights, non-binary. Sure, I want to learn these new terms. But when you take gender self-identification to the logical endpoint, you have a thing where, which means if anyone says they're a woman or a man at any time, they are immediately considered a woman or man and are you know, gain access to all those other sex segregated spaces. Right. So, and that leads to, so now you have a, uh, a, a woman or a, sorry, a man who declares himself self-identifies as a woman. He's a super heavyweight boxer, steps into the, to, into the ring with a biological woman and, and literally bam. bludgeons her to death. That's the ultimate conclusion. The ultimate yeah. take this to its. And, and we'll be called transphobic of course, but this isn't a point about transgender people really. This is a point about sociopaths and psychopaths in our society. You know, the violent ones tend to be male, right? If you're a man and you've just been convicted of a crime in Canada or Scotland or one of these places, and you're going to go to jail and do hard time. Well, it's a lot easier to do it in a women's prison. Um, like, you got to be kind of silly not to. So we've created a system where predatory men can find a loophole in the system through transgender rights. And it doesn't mean they're legitimately transgender or transgenders are, are you know, improportionally predatory, but it means that people who are predatory will file themselves into the transgender category because you've created a loophole where predators can can exist in women's locker rooms, women's prisons, and all this. So this right. is the logical endpoint of, of this. And I think when people see that, they're kind of horrified. And this is why we see it more in other countries rather than Canada. Canada loves to stick its head in the sand in a lot of things. We've had violent men, uh, rapists, going into women's prisons for years, but we we don't want to talk about this. We like to pretend that our country is very sane and reasonable and quiet. Now we have um, a, uh, a a man who self-identified. Well, actually, he, he went through the surgery, I believe, and everything else. But he's it's a man identifying as a woman who raped, savagely raped a nine month old baby who is now in a women's prison in the basically adjacent to the maternity ward where because they have a program yeah. where where. Uh, inmates, uh, female inmates can have their children there. He's right beside them. I mean, this is Canada for you. This, this is, this is, this is what happens when you don't confront bad ideas. And we, we are so caught up in the, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I want to be considered a good person that we put no checks and balances on this. And it's one thing to allow, when we've done this for years in, the, in North America, allow men who have had surgeries. So, you know, let's say they don't have the bits to commit a sexual assault and, and, and impregnate women in, in prisons and allow them into women's prisons. It, this, this is one thing. It's another thing to just take the self-identification route, which is what we're doing now. Whereas men with all the stuff intact, they throw a wig on at trial, as Adam Graham did, say, I'm a woman, and the justice system just can't do anything. And you have, you know, activists who are so 
dead set on just pushing at all costs and are kind of blindly pushing. There's no coherent, real moral baseline to what like radical trans activists want. And it's most of them are not, you know, transgender themselves. They're just radical leftists. And this is part of, you know, communism and 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 whatever else yeah. it's just well, they're so bored they need it. they need an epic mission because they're bored uh daniel will take another quick time i'll come back and uh discuss further is gender ideology about to collapse daniel boardman the national telegraph right here on the richard Serrett show don't go away you're listening to the richard Serrett show on Newstalk saga 960 a.m All right. Welcome back. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph is here. We're talking about whether or not gender ideology is about to collapse. And um, as noted, we know we've talked about some examples elsewhere in the world. The United States, 24 uh, red states are about to ban or have banned uh, child affirming care, which includes um, hormone blockers and cross sex uh, hormones and and worse, surgical intervention, which is basically mutilation. Uh, But for it to, to be for it. To, to collapse in Canada, I think what, what would be the the telltale sign? sign? We have Amy uh, Eileen Ham, who's being um, this Which star house? chamber trial out in British Columbia by the BC College of Nurses, and and she's on trial basically for stating that a woman can never become a man, and a man can never become a woman, and men should not be put in women's prisons, and and for supporting J.K. Rowling. Um, what is, what is your sense? Is that is that hearing going to go her way? And if if it does, is that sort of the the um, the beginning of the or the end of the beginning here in Canada of gender ideologies collapse? I mean, I feel for Amy, and what's happening to her is a modern day witch trial. Um, I am sort of disillusioned on the Canadian system. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic it could go her way. It could also run her over. What I say though is, if it goes her way, that's a great ruling in favor of gender ideology. I also outline that if it doesn't go her way. Well, there's also some paradoxical um, means in the gender ideology stuff where, well, now you have an example of how gender ideology can ruin a woman's life. You know, she becomes a martyr on this and this sort of air of, oh, who's harmed? We're not forcing to do anything. This false benevolence of the gender ideologues crumbles a bit. So this is something that will hurt gender ideologues, win or lose frame. And I hope she wins. Um, so I'm just making more of an academic point there. In terms of how this collapses, um, you have one more people becoming aware and once people realize that what's really happening is a eugenics program targeted at homosexual and autistic children um this 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 will become a, a lot uh different because i'm so glad you said that because that is when people say it's not doing anybody any harm it's seeking the erasure of gays and lesbians number one and yeah who who, who are ultimately Caught up in this child affirming care, people, uh, children with serious underlying mental health issues like autism. Yeah. It's like, do you feel, are you 12 years old? Do you feel a bit different than unsure of your body? Um, Yes. Well, you're a normal 12 year old if that's the answer. But now the answer is, you know, transgenderism. There's a whole other things outlined. We know it's much more common in young girls. It's basically taken uh, the, you know, instead of becoming emo, cutting yourself or bulimic, the social contagions, transgenderism sort of hit there. Abigail Shaw did some great rapid onset gender dysphoria stuff. Now, the good news on why I think this is set to collapse. Um, you have once people more learning about this, this sort of false benevolence, it's going to hurt. Um, the more and more people who speak out, there's sort of a critical mass that a lot of the people will feel more comfortable coming forward. And a lot of the like the cudgels that they use, right? The, do you want a, a, a dead daughter or a living son? This sort of false, you, if you don't affirm, suicide will happen, which isn't true. 
a whole other can of worms. Suicide stats are complicated, but there. The biggest one I want to give people some hope for is the insurance companies. And people don't look at this, but all the lawsuits being lobbied at these gender clinics and the starting now in Canada, the States is probably going to be the biggest one of this because it's a much more litigious society mm-hmm. um, where this is, you know, the whole ecosystem there. Lawyers are, are less afraid to take on complex cases. Being a rogue lawyer is less out of vogue in America than Canada. But you have all these lawsuits that will pile up on these places and win or lose as they keep piling in. Eventually, the insurance costs to insure a gender clinic will be astronomical. And right now, the insurance companies are out of sync with reality on this issue because these these surgeries are medically sound and approved by the medical system. So they fall into sort of this category. But the insurance companies will very quickly realize that this actually isn't medically sound, that the risks way outweigh the benefits and insurance companies I, I, I have to hope that they're politically neutral in the sense and they care about money. So we really hope that they're the greediest capitalists ever, that they will jack up the insurance costs of everyone who wants to trans, uh, transition kids. So we have about uh, the next five years when these lawsuits start hitting and, and getting and, and building momentum um, that you're going to see um, an adjustment in the rates of insurance companies towards this. And they'll, and then, you know, the insurance companies will start to adjust the rates of the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical comes to say, well, do I really, okay, this is no longer the the instant profit um, that we want. And, and they might start to sort of, you know, tone down the stuff. You, you'll see this, they're never going to do it on minors. Um, so I, I think there's, and this also plays in the fact that a lot of red states are going to start to make laws against this because now there's sort of been an awakening among the um, the right to say, hey, like this is happening. It's not, you know, there's people like me who are like, yeah, gay marriage should be legal. I don't care, right? That's what you do, privacy, your own thing. But no, we can't sterilize gay and autistic kids under the name of progressivism. Like we, we just can't stand for that. So I, I do see on the horizon in the next five years, I, I do see this prime for uh, a collapse. I hope it doesn't take five years, but uh, if that's what it takes, then so be it. Uh, whatever it takes, really. Daniel, terrific uh, work as always. As I say, I think uh, I think this is your finest piece yet. Is gender ideology about to collapse? You can read it at the nationaltelegraph.com. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for, so much for having me on. All right. When we come back, the homeschool advisor. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The Homeschool Advisor on the Richard Serrett Show. Ha, I remembered the liner. <laughs> Pat myself on the back. All right. Uh, Canadian universities. This was a piece in the uh, the Globe and Mail. I'm not sure the date of this. It was written by Joe Friesen. It's a great piece. Canadian universities are reporting a rise in academic misconduct cases in recent years. We're talking about hired exam takers, blackmail, and the rise of something called contract cheating. And here to tell us more, our homeschool advisor and the founder of HumanitasFamily.net, Ruth Gaskowski. Hey, Ruth, welcome back. How are you? Very good, Richard. Thanks for having me. So uh, what's the situation uh, with this rise in academic misconduct? Well, we know cheating has been around ever since there have been schools. But what's different is universities are observing a large and troubling trend, and that is more students are breaking rules and more of them are getting caught. 
So to give a bit of a number to the picture, for example, at the University of Alberta, cases doubled to more than 1,000 in 2020 and 2021. The same is true of the University of Saskatchewan and at McMaster. At U of T, um, there have been over 3,000 students that were sanctioned, um, which is a 95% increase for them. Cheating has also risen at the Law Society, where they had to uh, void online bar exams for around 150 students. And the Ontario Auditor General revealed that 300 students were caught cheating on a real estate licensing exam at Humber College. So it's not just universities, but also other licensing bodies that are seeing an overall rise in academic misconduct. That means kind of unauthorized help or cheating or play, uh, or plagiarism that just have risen very sharply since the pandemic. Okay, so you mentioned something key there, online. So that explains to me uh, how you could hire an exam taker, uh, because if you're doing it remotely online, you can hire someone. How do you know um, they're actually taking the exam for you? Um, That's, I guess, what contract cheating is is all about. Right. So they can they can they can write the exam for you or they can write the essay for you. Um, What's leading to all of this? rise in uh, uh, academic dishonesty? Well, I think many researchers and professors blame the pandemic and the corresponding changes in test-taking, as you mentioned. Uh, Online exams uh, don't just offer opportunity for contract cheaters, but they also offer more opportunity opportunity for cheating itself. So uh, that means kind of like the, the moral center of students, as soon as they're out of sight of the institution, when they're alone at home and they have the opportunity to use additional tools, textbooks or search engines, they will make use of them. Um, but if it were just a pandemic, then we would have expected that there would have been a decline of cheating with the return to in-person learning. But that hasn't happened. And I think that's where the contract cheating comes in, which is kind of really on the rise. So this is one of the most serious types of academic dishonesty because it really involves deliberate planning, deception and payment. These are hired uh, cheaters. So students will pay someone uh, to write the exam for them. And that can also then come with extortion because the student has shared uh, their name, their student ID number and their credit card information. And if they don't pay enough, these test takers then can turn around on them and demand more money or otherwise report them to a dean. So it's kind of a dark path to go down on. But this is an estimated 21 billion industry worldwide. And in Canada alone, we're talking about uh, 70,000 students who make use of these types of cheating services. And that's actually only between 1% and 8% um, of, of all students worldwide. So it doesn't sound like that much. No, it doesn't. I was just going to say it doesn't seem like that large overall. Is But is it just the tip of the iceberg? I really think so, because um, only about half of professors actually report misconduct. Uh, so it's almost always up to the professor to detect the cheating and decide how to proceed. So many of them don't want to kind of possibly ruin a student's future or they actually just simply find it too cumbersome to do the reporting. And I think the second reason why is that uh, the percentage seems low is because not all misconduct gets detected. So, for example, in many courses, students still take exams online, so they haven't returned to in-person Uh, exams. So in the case, for example, of my daughter's psychology class, there were 300 students that were requested to take an exam. The exam was online and they could take it either at home or in class. So out of 300, how many do you think showed up to the classroom? 
10%? Six students. Six. Oh, wow. So six students showed up in class. The rest took it at home and without any oversight. So these students openly admitted to Googling answers, using their notes, and using their textbooks. So with online tests such as these, we can expect that cheating in one form or another may possibly be kind of the dominant mode. And this form of cheating does not get captured by statistics, as only the cases that are actually confirmed and are reported to the dean get recorded in the statistics. So what's going on? I mean, it's not just the pandemic, I don't imagine. Uh, Why is it students are increasingly uh, dishonest? Well, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the learning and mastery of knowledge that has been sort of devalued throughout high school. And this is, I think, sort of the fruit we now begin to witness. So students have been kind of coddled with a grading system that uses colors and or bands rather than percentages so that they wouldn't get stressed out. And so many of these students arrive at university unprepared, especially after the last two years of pandemic schooling. And so they're more likely to cheat if they are under high stress or pressure. And I think also one student's noticed that cheating is sort of a common practice and online exams provide ample opportunity for it. It's much easier for them to kind of rationalize. And I think their moral center kind of lies not within themselves, but with the institution. And if they can get away with it, they wonder, well, why shouldn't I if everybody else does it? So I think in this regard, homeschool students are a bit more resilient because they have to work independently at home to begin with to drive themselves and kind of develop an appreciation for learning itself. And so the moral compass is set at home and learning is kind of taught as a form of personal improvement. And it's not just a number that you get or a piece of paper. So I think cheating is less likely to happen if students recognize what true learning actually is and why learning matters. Excellent point. And of course, as we discussed last week, this whole chat GPT is just going to exacerbate this whole problem of uh, academic dishonesty. Uh, Ruth, uh, how do we subscribe to your newsletter, School of the Unconformed? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Yeah, it's on Substack. So go to the Substack app and enter School of the Unconformed. It's a free newsletter and um, all the things that we talk about are articles on there. So if you want to get it in your inbox, it's just School of the Unconformed on Substack. Uh, and you're right. These are tremendous articles you're writing. Uh, if I might be so bold, I, um, I'm i predicting a book in the future. <laughs> no pressure. Well, we'll no see pressure. If, if we if we put it all together. Yeah. All right, Ruth, great work as always. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Richard.
Bye-bye. Ruth Gaskowski, founder of HumanitasFamily.net. And uh, hour two coming up, Dr. Robert Malone will be here, internationally recognized scientist, physician, immunologist, um, inventor of the uh, mRNA vaccine delivery technology, and the author of a new book called Lies the Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming with a foreword by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will also uh, talk space matters with Dr. Jesse Rogerson and your calls. Hour two of The Richard Serrett Show gets underway in mere moments. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way. Last order of business, Space Matters with Dr. Jesse Rogerson. This is... uh, this is a very humbling story in, in many respects. The Hubble t- uh, Space Telescope has uh, recently spotted three galaxies about to collide. Imagine three galaxies. Makes you feel really small, doesn't it? Anyway, we'll uh, we'll discuss that with uh, Dr. Jesse Rogerson, astrophysicist, a little bit later. And uh, we've carved out a little bit of time for your phone calls before the end of the program, 289-275-9600. Just jot that number down. You might find it comes in handy. 289-275-9600. Uh, right now, uh, to date, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of um, every man, woman, and child on this planet, 70% of us have either uh, been cajoled or coerced into uh, taking the COVID vaccine. That's uh, five and a half billion. And we've talked about the data on the program in terms of excess mortality with uh, Edward Dowd and Dr. Peter McCullough. Um, one thing that we, we, we haven't focused as much on is the information, the information war, sometimes referred to as a fifth generational war that we've been subjected to And um, that is, in part, subject of a new book by Dr. Robert Malone called Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming with a foreword by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Dr. Malone is, of course, an internationally recognized scientist, the original inventor of mRNA vaccination, DNA vaccination, and multiple non-viral DNA and RNA, mRNA delivery technologies, 
His medical and scientific expertise includes virology, immunology, molecular biology, pathology, and pharmacology. And a great pleasure to welcome him back to the program. Dr. Malone, thank you for being here. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Um, I mentioned this fifth generational war that we're, we seem to be in the midst of. Just explain a little bit, if you could, what, what does that mean? So fifth generation warfare is really better thought of as a gradient of warfare. Um, if uh, first generation is spears and swords and knives and a kind of uh, organized combat where you still have a leader, centralized leadership, and you're typically battling over territory and the command structure extends all the way down to the foot soldier. So the foot soldier is taking command directly from whoever the supreme leader is. That's kind of first generation. And it moves through a series of gradients. It's really better thought of as gradients than generations because you can slide back and forth to uh, the extension that we're currently experiencing that's referred to as fifth generation warfare, which is basically pure propaganda. In fifth generation warfare, you don't have kinetic weapons being deployed typically. And the battlefield is not over territory. It's over your mind. The battlefield is to control the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, information that uh, a given population has and to insert into them in a low energy way the thoughts in belief systems that you wish to propagate into that population without ideally them even being aware that it's being done to them. So that's that's that. And we can say fourth generation warfare is uh, akin to Al Qaeda or uh, the Taliban or I argue the Viet Cong uh, that is asymmetric warfare in which there's a combination of uh, uh, battle over over domain. There's often kinetic weapons, but a strong propaganda component that battle over territory and mind. So the propagation of religious belief systems or ethical belief systems that are different from those that are currently in place or that the uh, is the uh, is uh, antithetical to the group that's trying to alter uh, field. That would be fourth gen. I argue that we haven't won a single, the United States government has not won a single fourth generation warfare engagement. Third generation warfare is basically uh, the advances that the Germans made over second generation, which was really uh, kinetic weapons, often with gunpowder, uh, clear battle lines, still centralized command. But in the case of third gen, the German innovation was to enable tactical flexibility down at the level of the local battlefield commander. So they were able to adapt to local conditions and conflicts. So think Rommel, for example, as an example of that. And that allowed battlefield flexibility that uh, gave the Germans an advantage, even with the French and the Maginot line. The Germans just ran around it because they had that kind of technical flexibility, operational flexibility. Uh, and again, and just to reinforce in fifth gen, typically the leader isn't even identifiable. Uh, the leader should not be identified. It's low energy, decentralized, 
battle over your mind, thought, and emotions. It's very different. And in fifth gen, there is no boundary between the uh, military forces and the civilian forces. They're all one. Uh, they are all to be influenced by the propaganda. Uh, an early example of fifth gen warfare on the part of the United States, I guess you could say, is the ghost army that was deployed during World War II. And that that ghost army division of inflated tanks and recorded uh um, audio tracks of artillery moving, etc., that was used to distract the Germans away uh, from the uh, landing in Normandy. Uh, that gave rise to one of the key, I think it's the 44th uh, Division in the U.S. Army that is one of our current operational psyops divisions. Uh, so that's a that's a kind of a brief history and outline of the landscape. But one of the things that makes fifth gen warfare really tortuous is that there not only is there no boundary between the civilian population, and the military population, um, there's no rules of engagement. There's literally no ethics. There's uh, no boundaries. Anything goes uh, so any form of dis or misinformation, lying, deceit, uh, it's very much spycraft land. And it creates in a battlefield environment, which, by the way, Twitter is both a weapon for fifth gen warfare as well as a battlefield, as one example. It creates a battlefield environment in which it's very difficult to discern reality. Everything is warped and twisted and actively manipulated by uh, the combatants, wherever they are, who uh, ideally are completely obscure. You don't even know who they are. And uh, add to all of that the ability to change the past, uh, you know, for example, I mean, your we know your 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 status as the one of the um, the inventors, the original inventors of the mRNA vaccination and the delivery techniques. I mean, that was wiped clean on Wikipedia. Um, you, you and your your wife uh, Jill, who is a uh, has a PhD in public policy, you wrote a book very early on. I think like just as the pandemic was announced, on how to prepare for a pandemic uh, using you know nothing really controversial about it. Like that was just like completely censored. Um, yeah. George Orwell coined the term in 1984 memory holding. And I think that's now widely accepted. We saw a super example of that with the project Veritas release of the young Pfizer uh, uh, physician executive who had a global a director level responsibility for mRNA vaccine strategy in which uh, within about two hours of that drop from Project Veritas, virtually all information about that gentleman and way back to photographs uh, from when he was in medical school that were online, his LinkedIn profile, all of his social media, as well as things within the Wayback Machine, which many of us had naively assumed was a permanent archive of the Internet. Um, that was all flushed within about two to three hours. And then a wave of bots descended on the various social media platforms that were making the case that the gentleman never existed and that he wasn't an employee of Pfizer. 
and that this was all a great big psyops that had been propagated against James O'Keefe. Uh, then you had Pfizer turning off any chat availability on any of their channels unless you were somebody that Pfizer was following. Uh, so you couldn't no one could post anything. They couldn't comment or contact Pfizer. And then Pfizer went dark until the following Friday, which I think was before a three day weekend. Uh, and then they released a comment uh, at 8 p.m. on that Friday. So after the closing bell on Wall Street and after most of the press has uh, gone to uh, drink their favorite uh, scotch in uh, D.C. bars. And uh, that's when they dropped their response that in many ways basically confirmed what the young gentleman had disclosed in that honey trap situation that he found himself in. I'm sure he regrets it deeply, but uh, um, it is what it is. Right. Well, the uh, he who controls the past controls the the the, uh, the present and uh, they they do. They they control the past at this point. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone is with us. We'll take a quick time out, come back and continue to delve into his uh, new book, Lies the Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming with a forward by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Dr. Robert, Dr. Robert Malone is with us, and uh, the book is Lies the Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming, a forward by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So five and a half billion of us uh, vaxxed a rushed vaccine, something that normally takes 15, 20 years to develop. It was uh, ready inside of a year. For a disease that kills what approximately that killed approximately what point zero zero two percent of the population. Um, I mean, when you when you contrast that and, and that number is likely inflated because, you know, hospitals were incentivized to inflate that number. When you contrast that with, say, the Spanish flu, I mean, it's pretty stark, really, in terms of the reaction. Yeah, we we wrote an essay about this the other day, even just based on raw numbers taking into, you know, not accounting for the difference in global population between 1918 and the present. Just in terms of raw numbers, there was a 40 fold higher mortality from the uh, Spanish flu uh, that's attributed to H1N1 or a mixed uh, viral bacterial infection at the end of World War One. So uh, when you when you factor in the changes in the population size, uh, it is many, many fold uh, less severe in terms of its impact. And of course, as you correctly point out, we can't really assess what that difference is because of the perverse incentives, particularly in the United States, to overreport uh, disease and, and mortality and death. Uh, so I agree with you that and and even Mr. Gates now agrees with you in recent statements that this was a gross overreaction to what was a relatively modest global threat. And I think that as time goes by, history will show that uh, a very large fraction, if not the majority of those deaths were avoidable. Um, the, the term overreaction, um, I mean, given that. All of the the coordination involved here, if we're talking about, you know, fifth generation warfare and psyops, and we had a Canadian military basically admitting that they saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity. Yes. Uh, 
I mean, an overreaction sounds like sort of well-intentioned, well-meaning, but oops, we messed up versus something far more sinister and coordinated. Which is it? I think it's really hard to differentiate between nefarious intent and incompetence. And both can exist at the same time. We also have, you didn't mention, the greatest upward transfer of wealth in recorded history. Uh, We had clear exploitation of this to advance a nefarious globalist agenda that's been labeled the Great Reset by Klaus Schwab, but what was which was first announced by then Prince Charles, now King Charles. Uh, There's a lot more going on here than public health. And that's that can't be refuted. Uh, The I agree with you that there's a lot of wordsmithing and ongoing, really ongoing propaganda and fifth gen warfare activities. That's undeniable. I was over in the UK speaking on behalf of Andrew Bridgen, uh, who got kicked out of the Conservative Party because he spoke truth about the the uh, vaccines and their safety. And there they have what's called the 77th Brigade, which is part of the UK military, which includes a member of parliament as an active member of the 77th Brigade. And I unfortunately caught their attention while I was over there. And since then, I uh, particularly when I was there in a couple of days afterwards, was constantly getting harassed by uh, individuals that had ties to the 77th Brigade. So all of this is ongoing. And uh, related to that, it's fascinating that the countries that, at least from my frame of reference, have been the most autocratic, the most totalitarian in their response, are all members of the Five Eyes Alliance. So that would be Great Britain, U.S., Canada, um, New Zealand, and Australia. What's happened in those countries has been amazing, and it's hard to deny the role of the Five Eyes Alliance intelligence community, including the reciprocal relationships that allow the CIA to do things to, for instance, UK citizens and the MI5 to do things to American citizens that are otherwise prohibited by the respective intelligence agencies. We have clearly also had collusion by low-level bureaucrats all the way up to the president to circumvent what they had been sworn to uphold and protect, that being the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, most particularly the First Amendment. We see that in the Twitter files. We see that in the documents that have been disclosed by the attorney general's lawsuit against the government and Google. We're seeing that in all kinds of FOIA documents. We it is not an overstatement to say that the our government has deployed military grade. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. 
tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Warfare technology, information warfare technology against its citizenry, and that it did so after having planned to do so in event 201 held at the Johns Hopkins Center that is basically a CIA spook shop uh, in which we had a conference organized and paid for by the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which Bill Gates appears to have taken the information gleaned from that strategy session, used it to guide his stock investments in his fund, and then bragged about the fact that he got such a superb return on investment by his uh, purchases of stock in various vaccine companies and other entities that have profited off of this. I mean, the war profiteering is undeniable and is a significant part of this upward transfer of wealth. Um, the corruption is is undeniable. The revolving door that's been documented with the FDA, the compromise of the CDC. Now, the United States Health and Human Services, once considered to be the beacon for the world in terms of integrity and assurance, ability to ensure safety, purity and efficacy, of products produced in the United States biopharmaceutical complex, the rest of the world now sees that it's corrupt. And it's basically acting in this way to hand our biopharmaceutical industry over to the Indians and the Chinese. Why shouldn't people go to India or China now? Um, They have better prices, better supply, um, they they deliver when they say they can. They have a much broader spectrum of both uh, pharmaceuticals and precursors. Why should people go to the United States when it's become clear that our system is at least as corrupt as that of other places like India and China? Dr. Malone, we'll take another time out. I was just going to add um, as we head into a break here that it's it's interesting how. Now that uh, Bill Gates has cashed out, uh, now he's quite willing to uh, to talk down uh, the efficacy of vaccines. Back with more of our conversation right after these. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Just a few minutes remain with Dr. Robert Malone, author of Lies the Government Told Us and The Better Future Coming. So... Not just the the five and a half billion that were coerced or cajoled into taking the vaccine. All of us, even those of us, of us that refused the vaccine, have been the uh, victim or the subject of, I guess, the largest human experiment in history. So, what what can we take from the book that that that, that can help us? I don't know, move on from there or take the next step, whatever that might be. Well, thanks for that. That gets to the better future coming. Um, That tagline that's at the end of the title that I insisted we add in because uh, lies my government told me was such a grim title. And I think there's a lot of things that we can all do. Many people all over the world seem to feel, including when I visit Toronto recently, seem to feel that moving towards a decentralized rather than a centralized command economy model is the way forward where we can maintain our personal autonomy and freedom to choose rather than finding ourselves in a position of ourselves and our children 
functioning as indentured servants under the control of some centralized economy leadership that's located at some distance, um, led by an unelected group of individuals, presumably uh, capitalists uh, that are controlling very, very large companies. World Economic Forum, as you know, there in Canada, Krista Friedland and Justin Trudeau and many of your ministers have been uh, trained in a five-year indoctrination program by the World Economic Forum as young leaders. And uh, in many ways, I argue that, unfortunately, both Canada and New Zealand and to a significant extent, Australia are now client states of the World Economic Forum. People need to make a decision. Is this the world we want to live in? Is this the world that we want Canada to be? I thought Canada were free, freedom-loving people. And uh, it's it's unfortunate what we've all seen over the last three years. And I think that that's the choice. Hopefully, the book can help people to comprehend what they've experienced and process that and make sense out of it. And then it's up to them to decide, as you point out, do we want to all be victims or do we want to be warriors? Because you don't have to be a victim. You can assimilate, learn what fifth generation warfare technology is all about, how to practice it. And you can, number one, become more resistant and immune to it. Just like if you learn about advertising, you're less likely to be sucked into buy McDonald's. Um, And uh, likewise, if you learn what fifth gen warfare technology really is, When you encounter it, you're going to be more resistant. And if you master it, you can use it and you can become a warrior yourself. The the, uh, 77th Brigade um, and the 44th Division at Fort Bragg, they constitute a few hundred soldiers. If we have thousands or millions of people that are all saying, no, we're not going to tolerate this. We're going to be active in social media, in communicating on alternative media, participating in podcasts, radio broadcasts, etc., making it clear what the truth is and resisting what is being shaped and imposed on us. I think there's a good chance we can get to a better future. Dr. Robert Malone and Lies the Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming, a forward by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Dr. Malone, thank you so much for spending some time. I appreciate it. Great work. Thanks for your time and for the opportunity to speak to uh, my friends in Canada. All right. I hope we'll do it again. Bye-bye for now. All right. Let's open up the phone lines. Just a few minutes. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. If you'd like to respond to what you just heard from Dr. Robert Malone, the original inventor of mRNA vaccine delivery uh, technology and the author of Lies the Government Told Me, talking fifth generation warfare. That's what, uh, in part, this has been about. We are the. uh, We are the enemy. We have been uh, subjected to a massive, unimaginably massive psyop. And uh, the victims of the the largest human experiment in history. 289-275-9600. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, we just have a few minutes 
for your calls. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. You can talk about whatever you'd like. Perhaps you'd like to respond to the previous interview with Dr. Robert Malone, original inventor of the uh, mRNA vaccine delivery technology and uh, the author of Lies the Government Told Me. And uh, just ahead, the uh, Hubble Space Telescope, back in the news, feeling a little left out, I guess. Everyone's focusing on the James Webb Telescope. Well, the Hubble Space Telescope still up there, still uh, working and uh, doing some important work as, at that. Uh, has just delivered some uh, images of three galaxies about to collide, and we'll get into all of that on Space Matters with astrophysicist Dr. Jesse Rogerson. Coming up in a few minutes, 289 275 Further to um, my discussion with Dr. Malone about um, medical tyranny, this is uh, rather disturbing news. The, uh, The World Health Organization, sort of a subsidiary of the United Nations, run by a team of bureaucrats in Geneva, headed by an Ethiopian communist, and certainly influenced heavily, heavily by the CCP, soon may have the power, this is for my American listeners, I guess, may soon have the power, the World Health Organization may soon have the power to dictate lockdowns, vaccination mandates, social distancing, and uh, much more in the United States. Even surveillance. This is coming from the Epoch Times. And it uh, goes on to explain that Joe Biden, President Biden, getting ready to sign the U.S. up, sign the U.S. up to a legally binding deal that would give international politicians authority to make decisions for America during a pandemic. And apparently Biden is maneuvering it so it won't even require approval by the U.S. Senate. The report explained U.S. Health and Human Service Secretary Xavier Becerra, or Becerra, joined with WHO Director General Tedros in September 2022 to announce the U.S. World Health Organization strategic dialogue. Together, they developed a platform to maximize the longstanding U.S. government WHO partnership and to protect and promote the health of all people around the globe, including the American people. That's a result in a draft of a plan that seeks ratification by all 194 WHO member states, a meeting of the World Health Organization's intergovernmental negotiating negotiating body is scheduled for Feb 27th to work out the final terms, which all members will then sign. It would give the bureaucrats who follow the UN's political agenda the authority to declare and manage a global pandemic. All signatories would have to abide by the rules those bureaucrats would decree, including lockdowns and vaccine mandates, global supply chains, and monitoring and surveillance of populations. They want to see a centralized vaccine and medication-based response and a very restrictive response in terms of of controlling populations, says David Bell, a former WHO bureaucrat, quoted in the Epoch Times. They get to decide what is a health emergency, and they're putting in place a surveillance mechanism that will ensure that there are potential emergencies to declare. Well, if it's happening in the United States, if Joe Biden is thinking about 
signing that, signing over U.S. sovereignty, you know our trust fund brat, Sox Trudeau, is seriously thinking of doing the same. Space Matters with Dr. Jesse Rogerson is next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Ignition sequence start. Engines on. Five, four, three, one. We have looked up. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for man. Space Matters. Dr. Jesse Rogerson, Assistant Professor of Astrophysics at York University, joins us every week at this time. Hey, Jesse, how are you? Hey, hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Uh, This is exciting. Um, First of all, the Hubble Space Telescope, kind of the forgotten, must feel kind of left out and forgotten. Everyone's talking about the James Webb Telescope, but the Hubble's up there still doing great work, right? That's right. The Hubble Space Telescope, it was launched in in the early 90s. And it's been the defining telescope of the last generation, probably one of the most productive and um, well-known, definitely one of the most well-known telescopes and has really uncovered a lot for us. And one of the things Hubble was designed to do was to look deep into the universe and understand the the collective evolution of of the entire universe uh, through a, an, an analysis of galaxies, uh, so it's been it, it's been a, a cornerstone of astronomy since then. And now JWST is up there and it's doing amazing work, and it's going to define the next generation of astronomy. But Hubble's still there and it's still working and it's still doing some cool stuff. Right, and in this case, has uh, delivered an amazing image of three. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Three galaxies uh, that are about to uh, have like a head-on collision. Three galaxies coming together. Uh, what 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 happens when three galaxies collide? I can't even imagine. Well, you know what? This is what we think. This is how galaxies build themselves. That how do you how do you get to like if you look at the galaxy that we live in, the Milky Way? This is a substantial galaxy. It's one of the large galaxies in the universe. It's got hundreds of billions of stars, a, a, a large amount of of gas and dust. It's got. Uh, a supermassive black hole at the center. It's got millions or upon billions upon trillions of planets uh, all throughout our galaxy. All of that collected together in this disk shape, uh, sort of flat pancake of, of stars that we call the Milky Way galaxy. And one of the the big questions about about the universe and how we get here is how do you build a galaxy this big? And we think that it is through collisions and, and absorption of galaxies. And you start with small little things and through time from the beginning of the universe until now, uh, these galaxies build themselves by pulling in other galaxies, head-on collisions, massive train wrecks of galaxies that once they're all said and done, you end up with a big, large galaxy afterwards. So this image that Hubble has has published is uh, is three galaxies uh, that look like they're right on top of each other or about to be right on top of each other, very close to that imminent collision, um, likely in the midst of tidal tidal disruption. Um, So we're looking at a snapshot of one of those pieces of the puzzle of as a galaxy grows, how many collisions does it go through? This is a snapshot of that. So even though, as you say, it looks like they're on top of each other, they're like something like 50,000 light years away from each other. 
That's right. So 50,000 light years, to put that in perspective, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across. So, And then we have these two little um, dwarf galaxies called the Large and Small Magellanic Clouds, little dwarf galaxies that orbit us orbit the Milky Way. And they're about 100,000 light years away, roughly speaking. So this, the, to put this in, in, in sort of terms of this image, uh, what we would need to be in a similar situation to those three galaxies is we, we would need a galaxy like our size that's basically on our doorstep, like 40, 50, you know, half the distance of our Milky Way away. Um, so we don't have a galaxy that close to us. The, although we do have the little dwarf ones that are orbiting us, and we do have a substantial galaxy nearby, but that's called the Andromeda Galaxy, and it's about 2.5 million light years away. So, so could, could we at one, could we, will we eventually absorb or collide with those two smaller ones? The, the, oh, that's a good question. I don't have that off the top of my head with the two smaller ones. My, my instinct is to stay, is to say they're on, on orbits uh, that are, that are closed, but not colliding. Um, but I don't have a great answer for that. That's a good question. But the, the larger galaxy nearby, the Andromeda galaxy, that one is on a collision course. We're heading towards each other. And about four or five billion years from now, we will uh, smack into that gigantic galaxy, the Andromeda, and there'll be a train wreck where we are right now. <laughs> We've got about four billion years left. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, now might be a good time to, uh, I don't know, to uh, renew your your five year mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, these three that are colliding, uh, if they have, let's say, I don't know, exoplanets, they have um, if they have potential civilizations on those planets, let's say that, that they're finished. Right. They're going to oh, be that's like that's a really, really good question, too. And you know what's really interesting about galactic collisions is that the the actual space between stars is much larger than the size of a star itself. Like, I mean, ridiculously large. So the amount of em a galaxy is really mostly empty space. Mm -hmm. So when two big things that are mostly empty, empty each other what ends up happening is the stars themselves with their planets orbiting them just kind of pass through each other now the collective gravity of both galaxies creates a, a ridiculous amount of disruption they, they tear each other apart the, the 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 nice beautiful shapes that they have are going to be completely changed into some other amazing shapes uh, but the the stars themselves and the planets that orbit them remain mostly intact so you you could have a collision occur and an exoplanet with, say, some say that say there's some, you know, civilization living on one of these exoplanets. Uh, they're going to be fine. And they would they would have their sky would be lit up by these three galaxies all merging with each other. But they're themselves are going to be OK. Fantastic. Mergers and acquisitions. That's how galaxies grow. Dr. Jesse Rogerson, assistant professor of astrophysics at York University. Fascinating as always, Jesse. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. How was that, Jacob? Out of 10, what would you say? That show for a Tuesday following a long weekend. A 10 out of 10, he says. I concur. All right. That's for me. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody Declan and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.